Uh, welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell. And of course, we got my good buddy, Rio Verden here. Hey, guys. Um, and uh, we have uh, dialed in to the cockpit this morning to go over this little issue that probably won't have that much of an effect on our future and our kids' future and our grandkids' future. It's just a little thing. It's only 60 million pages long, and it is the entire uh, uh, climate policy proposal and description from uh, from Andrew Yang. Um, if this isn't our longest episode ever, uh, it'll be because we got to introduce the president of the United States, Andrew Yang, and he gave us five hours. Uh, so that, there you go. That's there's there's the 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 introduction. I think that. if we get to have him on while he's still running, it's going to be shorter than that. <laughs> yeah, no, it will definitely be shorter than that. I was just I was just like throwing things out into the universe because my witch doctor asked me to. Maybe uh, if we get to do an exit interview with him, which would be sad, but then he'll have all times all kinds of time. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But and and it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think I think he's going to make the exact kind of pivot to uh, to activism and promoting this kind of thing that uh, that we're already planning on doing. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be winning or it's gonna be winning. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? But but by him making a pivot to activism in a way similar like we're doing. So so we're basically talking about it. we've been we've been talking around this for for a little bit. Whether Andrew Yang wins or loses, our show is going to be pretty much the same. We're going to be finding out uh, uh, where there are candidates that are. Uh, uh, going after the moving forward platform, uh, you know, approaching things the way that our uh, combined and shared principles would suggest that uh, that we should, uh, and we're going to be promoting the crap out of them. Uh, so we're going to be doing that work, whether Andrew Yang wins or not. Um, the the idea that there are post partisan policies that we can all uh, get ourselves around is it, it's it's essential to to uh, to move forward. Name of the podcast, almost like we did that on purpose. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, I mean, th- th- there are candidates that are committing themselves to this idea, this collection of ideas and this way of doing things. Uh, and, and we're going to be doing the work of uh, promoting them and promoting the policies that work for literally everybody uh, that, uh, that can be addressed from the, the sort of traditional left or traditional right, uh, which I would very much gladly love to put in a box and bury deep, deep, deep underground as ideas. Because uh, we don't need them. This is postpartisan. Yeah, I mean, actually, I do kind of agree with Yang that the Marxist framework is outdated. Um, Right? Well, I mean, that's kind of what he says. Like, we need to move past the whole communism versus capitalism thing. Right. And when he says that, I think some people hear capitalism is outdated. But I think we have enough evidence based on the way he talks about capitalism that that's not what he means. I think what he means is... The, the way that Marx, who is a very smart guy, um, critiqued capitalism was a valid criticism in the industrial era and just really is not going to imply, apply as well in the new information age that we're going to be living in. Seizing the means of production is still relevant in the sense that if you have the ability to you know 3D print stuff and all of that... Um, obviously the person who has the ability to do that is going to have uh, a lot of economic power, but the idea that you need to like somehow create jobs through manufacturing. And that was really the core. I mean, it's actually very Trumpian in a lot of ways. Marx's interest was just that like you have 
people who, um, you know, you have working class people and capitalist people, capitalist class people. And I think that what Yang's trying to do is he's trying to work into a future where that kind of class structure is, is obsolete and everybody is a part of the capitalist class. And there will still be hierarchies. Some people will do it better than others. Some people will be richer than others. But we need to move toward a future where everybody is earning passive income and the UBI is a really good way of transitioning us toward that. Because if we don't need jobs to live, then, you know, in, in a way, the whole like proletariat, I mean, that's the whole point of, the, of, of Marx's argument is that you've got like these working class people that need to be championed, right, by, this, by, uh, by each other and by a state that transitions them toward a socialist utopia. Um, I, I think Yang's right that that framework, that way of looking at the problem doesn't apply anymore. And, I, you know, that's, that's the issue with uh, Sanders and to a lesser extent Warren is that they're both still stuck in trying to solve these 18th century problems. Um, and so is Trump. I mean, he's talking about bringing back coal, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and, that, yeah. Talking I think, about all the people who are stuck in these old ways of thinking are also all septuagenarians. <laughs> right, right. Well, and I, I want to, and again, we've got a, a massive, I, we're, just, we're just, you know, committing to sitting around uh, uh, anyway, but let's, one thing let's I wanna, get started on the climate. Yeah, oh. I want to touch back on one thing because it, it, you know, because I was just talking about, you know, uh, moving forward and getting rid of the labels. And of course, we couldn't do that because we have to talk about Marx, which is deeply funny. I but was also, actually agreeing with you. No, no, I know. But like it was just, it was, it was, it was traditional left, right. Yeah, yeah it was a very. Like, the Marxist way of looking at it. Right. It was a very real way to take that. And I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the the idea of, um, you know, when you said you know utopian or whatever, it really it 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 made me think if there was a utopian capitalism, like a version of capitalism that was utopian, um, it would absolutely be this scenario where, um, you know, there was a a freedom dividend that was scaling uh, logarithmically and and allowing everyone to have the benefits who no matter who owns the means of production wouldn't matter uh because the 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 efficiency increases that we're going to see with technology moving forward that's never going to stop uh could automatically accrue to the lowest common denominator in a way that serves literally the entire society in a way that you know that that's just that's that's as close as i can imagine uh to a capitalist utopia that that honestly a couple of tweaks of what we're doing right now is all we would need to do to achieve the first level of that. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, it wouldn't really be a utopia. That's no. what a utopia is, that it's impossible. But we definitely could have a much better system than we have now. Um, I mean, really, like we wouldn't have to fundamentally tweak the system much at all. All we need to do is just start getting money into, the, into, into people's pockets, you know, um, yep. capitalism that doesn't start at zero. It's still the same system. And, you, and he's not seizing the means of production, but what he's doing is he's taxing the process of production right. and he's updating the concept of production to reflect a 21st century um, understanding of what that term means as opposed to what right. it meant in Marxist it, day. Right, which is, which is critical. Which is, because- which is precisely why Sanders and Warren, despite all their best efforts, are not going to be able to succeed at taxing businesses the way Yang is because yep. they're thinking about it in like an industrial era thing where you, where you, you know, you just tax businesses on their profits and that worked. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, not, that's not going to happen. 
it's it's criminal malfeasance you know as somebody who coming coming from the left appreciates both uh, uh you know uh warren and and sanders for lots of different reasons the fact that they're missing this is truly truly epic um, well and it, it's also the reason that they are going to have to raise taxes on the middle class because if you can't su- successfully tax rich people in corporations you got to get the money from somewhere yep yeah um, all right let's talk climate <laughs> exactly uh, preamble over uh, so uh yeah, so our planet is a mess. Uh, I'm reading from the uh, uh, the full uh, policy proposal and description uh, uh, from uh, from Andrew Yang. Go to uh, uh, yang2020.com uh, forward slash blog forward slash climate change. So our planet is a mess. Uh, the past four years have been the four hottest on record, and July 2019 was the hottest month ever recorded. Uh, Greenland is expected to lose 440 billion tons of ice this year, a rate that was the worst case scenario for 2070. I'm going to read that again. Greenland is expected to lose 440 billion tons of ice year, this year, a rate that was the worst case scenario for 2070. Uh, the West is on fire. The middle of the country is flooded and the Atlantic is seeing hurricanes of increasing frequency and intensity. In Alaska, salmon are dying because of the heat, all while the top uh, five U.S. oil and gas companies posted revenues over $760 billion uh, and the federal government subsidized the industry to the tune of $26 billion annually, uh, which is just deeply, deeply incredible. By the way, the entire thing uh, throughout has uh, uh, citations, uh, which uh, um, I'm not sure actually exists in most other climate proposals that I've seen. Climate change is an existential threat. And we need to recognize that we're already living through the negative effects. Uh, the increase in natural disasters is costing us hundreds of billions of dollars. And the total cost of climate change will run into the trillions while taking an untold number of lives. And the people who are most affected by these impacts of climate change are the least able to deal with it. Economically disadvantaged and minority communities face a disproportionate burden. The right time to deal with this crisis. I, I also think like everybody's going to be impacted on it. If I know, I mean, oh, yeah. just, just, just having extreme weather in general, like freezing cold winters and super hot summers. I don't want to live through that. That sounds unpleasant to me too. Well, just 10 to a hundred times the number of global refugees. Yeah, that's going to be, yeah, exactly. You think, right? that the, you think the problem with uh, people trying to immigrate is bad now? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all fun and games until like we're Trump seeing. Of, Trump of all people should be the most worried about this. If he doesn't want brown people coming here, he should be stopping climate change. You would think, but then he would have to admit that it was real. Um, yeah, he just plans to mow them all down with machine guns when they. Honestly, that's the wall. Honestly, like that. Yeah, they. That's where that mentality of the wall comes from, right? Like the teeming throngs are going to come and want to take all of like the amazing things that America has extreme, created for them. Yes, yes, he is the Mad Max. He has the Mad Max uh, vision of the future. Andrew Yang has the. I don't want to say Star Trek. Yes, I will. Star Trek. Of, it's, well, it's better than Star Trek. We'll say that. <laughs> you haven't watched enough Star Trek. Uh, the right time to deal with this crisis was decades ago. We've waited too long, so we need to act fast and recognize that all options need to be on the table in order to adapt to the changed world we live in while mitigating behaviors that make it worse and reversing the damage we've already done. We can't dismiss any ideas, especially not those that have support from the scientific community, or rule anything out because it doesn't fit our ideological framework. Um, why have we so far barely made a dent in what we need to do in order to combat this crisis? When 78% of our fellow Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, it's hard to mobilize people to care about the massive burden of climate change. Many think, I can't pay my bills. The penguins will have to wait. It's upset for the penguins. It's impossible to think about the future if you can't feed your kids today. We need to get the economic boot off of the throats of our fellow Americans so everyone can get their heads up and start facing this threat head on. Uh, we need to bring the full force of America to bear on this problem or we will fail. 
and the world will suffer. My approach is five-pronged. One, build a sustainable economy by transitioning away from fossil fuels to renewable energy, upgrading our infrastructure, and improving the way we farm and use land. Public financing options will also allow individuals to make the right decisions for their families. Uh, two, build a sustainable world. The United States throughout history has led the world in times of crisis. We're the most entrepreneurial country in the history of the world. It's time to activate the American imagination and work ethic to provide the innovation and technology that will power the rest of the world. Uh, three, move our people to higher ground. Natural disasters and other effects of climate change are already causing damage and death. We need to adapt our country to this new reality. Uh, four, reverse the damage we've done. Research needs to be done on removing carbon from our atmosphere, cooling the planet, and rejuvenating ecosystems. Five, hold future administrations accountable. We need to pass a constitutional amendment that creates a duty on the federal and state governments to be stewards for their environment. I really like that idea. Uh, so we're almost done this uh, section. We'll uh, open it up here. So climate change is big, and it is scary. It's destabilizing the world, and it's costing American lives. But it's also a massive opportunity. We can make the United States the center of a global, uh, sorry, new global sustainable energy sector. This will bring money to the American people and create jobs in installation and maintenance that will be local and less likely to be automated. It will also reduce a primary source of income used by some of our biggest adversaries. Russia, Iran, Venezuela all rely on oil and terrorist organizations utilize it as a primary fundraising mechanism. We can save the world for our children, make the environment healthier, and build a much stronger economy. Uh, we need to come together and get back to what America is all about. Innovation, hard work, and solving the biggest problems the world is facing. Uh, so, yeah, and, and we're going to go, obviously, through uh, through the rest of this thing, but if you I highly recommend uh, uh, Rachel Maddow's book, Blowout. It is all about the uh, the oil industry um, and and cycles into how uh, uh, you know, Putin, some of the other countries in the world, uh, uh, are, they, that's literally all they have. Um, so, you know, from a geopolitical, uh, point of view, the way to, well, and I mean, stop incursions into the Ukraine and stop them, you know, annexing things like Crimea, all of these things. And, 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 you know, if you've got a problem with Iran, uh, if you've got a problem with Syria and everything that's going on there, uh, the absolute best thing that we can do is export solar panels and thorium reactors. Uh, so hopefully we could actually get a, an administration in, uh, like Yanks that would understand that. So uh, then we'll uh, we'll get into uh, the timeline after this. But uh, anything to add to that, Mr. Rio? Uh, no, I'm anxious to get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> let's let's go through his specific proposals because I okay. think that's where we'll have the most interesting commentary. Okay, so we need to set an aggressive but realistic timeline in order to hit the targets required to ensure that our way of life can continue. We don't lose trillions of dollars and we uh, don't lose thousands of American lives in the process. Uh, achieve net zero emissions goal by 2049. Uh, 2025, establish net zero standards for new buildings. 2027, new nuclear reactors begin to come online. Uh, 2030, zero emission standards for all new cars. Uh, we can actually do that much sooner, but 2035, 100% emissions-free electric grid. Uh, 2040, let zero, net zero for all transportation sectors. 2045, 85% methane recapture. Uh, 2049, fully green economy. That right. seems realistic. I, yeah, so let's talk about his specific proposals for how to get there because, um, you know, I'm not one of those people who thinks that climate change isn't a problem and we should just ignore it. Um, but there are various ways of addressing the problem and some of them are better than others. Um, and so what I want to hear is how specifically does he want to address it and how, how is it different from, for example, the Green New Deal? Um, now, I would expect you know, parts of it to be similar and parts of it to be different. So let's, let's find out. Uh, all right. So uh, budget overview. 
Um, 400 billion invested in democracy dollars over 20 years. Uh, I love that he throws that right in first because, you know, uh, um, that's, that's interesting. Uh, $10 billion invested in debt forgiveness fund for rural co-ops. Uh, I'd actually love to see, uh, anyway, we'll see how, how this goes. 200 billion invested in grid modernization over 15 years. I mean, we're going to need that anyway. Uh, 50 billion invested in the next generation of safe, clean nuclear powers over five years. Um, I would even love it if you just like scrapped, let's stop giving $26 billion a year to oil industry and give, you know, $26 billion a year, uh, uh, to just green technology, right? If you, if you don't pump carbon into the atmosphere and you create energy, um, you know, you get $26 billion, not these fucking people that are sitting on record global profits. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying not to speak too much right now because I'm just basically going off of public statements. He's read since I haven't, or he's said sure. since I haven't read this full plan before. Um, I'm just, I'm hoping that uh, I think like the carbon fee and dividend approach is really the way to go. I think outlawing um, carbon eventually by ramping up a tax on it until it's basically a hundred percent and then outlawing it, giving companies time to transition away from it in the private sector yeah. um, would bring money, bring revenue into the governments instead of costing the government money and therefore would not involve higher taxes. Um, so I know that's part of what he supports that I'm just yeah. trying, I, 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 I'm, I'm waiting to hear what the exact balance is. But yeah, there, yeah we've, we've, we've got a long, a long way to go. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so I, mean, I don't like, need to interject every other sentence. No, 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 that, no like I, I, I asked. I think that understanding this audio book brought to you by Corey. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's important, right? Because we do, we do have some questions going into this, and I, and I think that that is is a monster consensus position for the two of us, because you know, in it for for capitalism to work, externalities need to be priced in, not not ignored. Right, like that, you know, we we need a, a a way to engage with the natural world that is circular, not just automatically extractive. Um, you know, for for capitalism to not just yeah. be a plague on the I mean, planet that we destroys don't allow it. people to just randomly burn down forests and cause all kinds of havoc for profit. Either, right, right. This right. is just another case like that. I mean, there there's actually a lot of situations where that's exactly what we let people do. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> we but, have regulations on it. But we should do it not. The hell they right. Want. <laughs> exactly. Like there, there, there should be there should be regulations, and it should not be uh, run and decided by the industries that are going to be raping the planet. Moving on, uh, eighty point eight billion invested in net zero emission air transportation over fifteen years. Um, it's interesting. Two hundred eighty five billion invested in sustainable agriculture, forestry, and land method use over fifteen years. Uh, maybe we'll take Trump's little "got to rake the uh, forest" thing. Totally kidding. Five billion invested in research for sustainable materials over five years. That's super smart. Uh, and, and I didn't read the full Green New Deal, but I don't know if materials research is in there. What they're doing with basic materials research right now is really intense. Uh, Forty-five billion invested in national labs over fifteen years. Hopefully, that national labs thing is uh, akin to what Rio and I have talked about as far as uh, having patents owned by uh, uh, the actual. Well, owned by us. Three trillion oh, to finance. Who paid for it? You mean? That's exactly it. Three trillion. Three trillion to finance loans for household investments in renewable energy over twenty years. Um, Sixty billion invested in vocational apprenticeship programs over fifteen years. Uh, Seventy billion invested in combating rising sea levels over twenty years. Um, Twenty-five billion in pre-disaster mitigation grants for high-risk hurricane communities over ten years. I, I bet you that spend alone 
is between 10 and 50x what post-disaster uh, 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 costs would be. Uh, 122.5 billion invested in fire prevention and combating wild, wildfires over five years. Uh, 90 billion to establish and fund the Climate Change Adaption Institute over 20 years. Uh, 800 million invested in geoengineering researching methods. Nice. Okay. Uh, 200 billion discretionary spending to fund additional necessary programs over 20 years. Uh, all right. Total investor over 20 years, 4.87 trillion. Uh, Green okay, New Deal so that's, I mean, is 10. Oh, oh, yeah, no. Over the course of 20 years, that's, that's not crazy at all. No, that's, not even remotely. Now let's talk about how he's going to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and he doesn't I'm get sure, into that. I know, I know. He it's doesn't get into that way. We'll get to I, it. I promise we will. So build to a sustainable economy. Uh, thanks in part to the activism of the millennial and Gen Z generations, combating climate change by moving to a sustainable economy is a central issue of the 2020 presidential election. Representative uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced the Green New Deal, uh, which accomplished exactly what it set out to achieve, sparking a national conversation about how we define the scope of the problem and the scope of the solution. Uh, the backlash was immediate. Uh, and the argument against it was that it will cost us jobs, money, and growth. But I'm a numbers guy, and I looked at the math. This couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, first, the impact of climate change on health outcomes and life expectancy, not to mention increased damage and lost lives from natural disasters, is in the trillions. Actually, tens of trillions, if not 100 trillion. Uh, and then if it doesn't end up making the planet increasingly inhabitable uh, for human life. Second, the last time we dedicated the American people to a massive manufacturing project, World War II, we grew our economy, kicked off decades of growth, and created a set of middle-class jobs that provided upward mobility and a good life for half a century. Uh, just a little side note for white people. Uh, why do so many people believe moving to a sustainable economy will have such a negative impact on our economy and individual budgets then? Uh, because of the oil companies. They've been making trillions of dollars for generations, externalizing all the costs of the world while burying reports on climate change and lobbying against climate legislation. Uh, when you're pulling in trillions of dollars, a few hundred million on lobbying and false advertisements is a drop in the bucket. Uh, this wide field of Democratic candidates presents an exciting opportunity for us to discuss how we will take on the fossil fuel industry and tackle this urgent global crisis. The Green New Deal has done a great job in starting the conversation and its goals of lowering emissions, converting to renewable energy and creating good paying jobs are commendable. We need to strive for these goals and set up a realistic plan utilizing all options in order to get to, to a fully sustainable economy ahead of 2050. Oil companies will stop getting subsidized under my plan. The rest of us will see cheaper energy costs, better air quality, and new local jobs that we can use to support our families. I'll just keep going because they haven't got to the pay for yet that I know Rio is really excited about. Uh, anyway, ending the influence of lobbyists and oil executives. Americans want their kids to breathe clean air and drink clean water. They want to leave a healthy planet for their children. Oil companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on lobbyists to stop that from happening, which again, it cannot be overstated how cheap that is. Like pathetically rounding air cheap for, their, for them to maintain control of an entire uh, party and way too much of the Democratic Party. Uh, the oil and gas industry spent $124.5 million on lobbying in 2018. Again, like a trillion dollars in profits that year. I don't know, but it's something like that. Uh, this was, uh, sorry, uh, this was a small investment on their part, considering they receive $26 billion annually in direct subsidies and far more in various indirect subsidies every year. Oh, that's depressing. Uh, when your industry is looking at losing trillions of dollars, you'll spend nearly anything to prevent regulation, especially when those regulations will devastate your industry. It's time for us to end the power of lobbyists of the climate change debate. We need to ensure the workers in these industries are taken care of, but the executives can't continue to weaken the planet to line their own pockets. 
as president. Andrew Yang will ban anyone who serves in my administration from uh, lobbying for a period of time after they leave their position. Uh, ensure representation in my government for workers who will be displaced by our shift to renewable energy uh, and a sustainable economy so that we are sure to find solutions that enhance their quality of life. Refuse to hire anyone who formerly worked as a lobbyist for oil, gas, or oil companies uh, or uh, served in an executive capacity at one of those companies. A huge fan of that one. Uh, pass a democracy dollars bill, putting over $20 billion directly in the hands of the American people annually to support the politicians they agree with and wash out the influence of lobbyists. It's so effing huge. And again, all of these things will tie back to things we've discussed before, which is one of the main beautiful things. Like there, there is a coherent Yang doctrine that runs throughout uh, uh, all of these things and they really do all uh, affect each other. So that's fine. Yeah, I, I like that he like really he starts off right off the bat talking about what how he is going to solve the political problem the political right. complication right, right. It's, like how do you get it passed? it's easy it's easy to have pie in the sky policies but he actually has a plan to get them passed yep and it's head and shoulders above anybody else's plan you know Bernie Sanders' plan is I'm just going to stand up on TV and scream myself hoarse every day until the American people decide they agree with me. Um, that's not going to work. Um, right. I, 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 th- like- I, th- I th- <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, Yang is, a, he's looking at the actual issue. Um, instead of, instead of blaming the players in the game, he's looking at the rules of the game and he's saying, look, you can hardly blame politicians for doing what they're doing the way the rules are set up right now. Yep. Or oil companies. So like, it's it's yeah, a really, true. really exactly. good point. Everybody, everybody is being, is, um, motivated to do the wrong thing right now. He just wants yep. to change the, the motivations. Yep. Got to change the incentives. Yeah, man. I sound like freaking David from right now. That's gross. Uh, traditionally, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, so the American scorecard, economic measurements of sustainability. Uh, traditionally, the economy has been measured by looking at the gross domestic product or the stock market. Uh, just look at Trump's Twitter today. It's pathetic. Companies are measured by their profitability. However, these measurements are imperfect at best and terrible at worst. The creator of the GDP stated when he came up with it that it doesn't reflect the full story, missing the value of raising children and ignoring actual well-being, which is, is a, that's a big miss. And the uh, Friedman Doctrine st- uh, stated that corporations have a moral responsibility to maximize profits has resulted in these businesses externalizing many costs, especially environmental ones. Uh, when you measure something, you implicitly set your policy goals. By focusing our measurement on GDP and share prices, we've promoted production and profitability above all else. We need to move the way we measure the economy and corporate outcomes to actually take these environmental costs into account. If GDP goes up because oil companies make record profits, but levels of childhood respiratory illnesses also go up, we're not better off. If a company increases their share price by using cheaper but dirtier energy sources, they shouldn't be rewarded. It's time to start including environmental measurements into account when we measure the economy, including but not limited to environmental quality and sustainability, affordability of energy costs, childhood success rates, environmental health, uh, sorry, environment-related health outcomes, and uh, quality of infrastructure. Every year during the State of the Union, I will report on these numbers, whether they improved, and what we're going to do to ensure improvement by the following year. Again, just this, this changing of the measurements, which he can do with the CBO, like, the first day of office is enough reason to drop literally everyone else you're thinking of supporting in the democratic candidacy. None of them are talking about this and it changes everything. It's, it's, it's such an amazing hack. So anyway, uh, we also need to work with corporations in order to ensure that uh, they're considering their sustainability and making their decisions. 
any public corporation that has a valuation over $1 billion should be required to file an environmental impact report for certain activities, such as money they spend on transportation or opening a new building or moving to a new manufacturing method. Subject to verific- verification by the EPA that clearly states the financial cost of these activities on the environment and any means they're taking to mitigate those effects, uh, which is interesting because then the EPA uh, run by an actual normal person uh, or people that actually care about the environment, it's not run by those people now, um, could basically edit it. Or not edit it, but like uh, um, uh, audit that uh, report. Finally, we should also adopt the provisions of the climate risk disclosure bills introduced in Congress to force companies to disclose what impact climate change will have on their operations to the SEC. Investors should be considering these long-term impacts when deciding where to invest their money. And I can guarantee that if the true cost of climate change was baked into corporate valuations, companies that are poised to be most impacted by climate change would see investment go down, thus pushing the economy towards more sustainable businesses. I never would have thought of this. If you, if you know that people need to mo- start moving inland, and he's the only candidate who suggested that, and he's completely right, right? That one thing, making them disclose to the SEC uh, what uh, uh, potential impacts would be. Like there's high rises going up in Miami right now, and the, main, the streets of, of, of uh, you know, uh, downtown Miami are going to be underwater in 20 or 30 years, um, X number of days out of the year, right? Like this is something that, 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 is, that is known uh, uh, right now. So that, that's intense. And so the way you start getting, you know, people in a capitalist society to start moving inland is to change the incentives, right? If they actually have to show based on reports that are out there done and backed by 11,000 scientists globally, what the impact, you know, is going to be even in a range, it's going to have a definite effect on where capital is going to flow. Yeah. Most of the time you can trust human beings to do the rational thing when they're forced to by the circumstances. <laughs> or but the amount of data that they, they have to admit is, is real, right? Yeah, yeah. But people aren't, for the most part, people aren't motivated by just abstract arguments. They're motivated by practical realities on the ground. And yep. right now, all the incentives are disaligned. They're, he's completely right about that. And you're, and you're absolutely correct. Nobody else is talking about it. You can't fix every problem with a sledgehammer of the federal government. It's the most expensive way of doing it. It's the most prone to error. Um, it, just just little tweaks to incentives cost the government close to nothing and really will have the biggest impact. It, it, right. Like that's, it's such a, it's such a smart way of, of dealing with it. So as president, I will create the American scorecard to better measure our environmental quality and sustainability and treat it as a primary measurement of our economy and well-being. Pass legislation requiring large corporations to document the externalized costs of their environmental impact pass climate risk disclosure bills to incentivize divestment in oil companies and other heavy polluting industries. Uh, it will also do what, you know, insurance companies are doing right now is pawning off uh, insurance premiums, even mortgages now for anything that's on the coast onto, uh, 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 you know, basically on government programs, right? So in, in insurance companies that are more than willing to make money off of, uh, you know, literally anything they possibly can, you know, are, are, are shouldering the higher risk things onto the government, uh, which again, is just, it's, it's uh, 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 you know, private companies are going to get the gain and, and uh, they're willing to socialize the losses. It's just, it's socialism for rich people. Uh, a, a sustainable economy uh, and uh, energy. Residential and commercial energy consumption accounts for somewhere around 50% of emissions. Uh, we can't move to a sustainable economy without getting our energy from renewable resources. Tackling our energy supply is the biggest move we need to make in order to create a sustainable economy. We need a multi-pronged attack plan to decrease emissions in our energy sector 
that we need to utilize all options available to us in order to ensure that we can hit the targets set out by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change to limit climate change to manageable levels. Because uh, again, it's already locked in that it's going to be pretty intense. Uh, it is impossible to know right now which clean energy technologies are going to be the most effective options in 10 or 20 years. Goal of having a renewable energy plan is to have a starting point of where we will invest our time and research. First and foremost, it is important for our government to be able to adjust its plans as technology and more efficient solutions develop. Uh, direct federal action to promote renewables. Uh, over the past hundred years, the federal government has done much to prop up the oil and gas industry. Early on, that was the right move. Our industrialization, uh, our, sorry, our industrializing nation needed cheap energy, and the long-term impacts of burning fossil fuels were unknown. Of course, that excuse went out the window four years ago when scientists first informed the oil companies that emissions were a major contributor to climate change. Uh, now that we all know the damage we're doing to the environment. We need to end our relationship with an industry that has lied to the American people while knowingly poisoning the earth. It is clear now that executives for these companies knew of the damage they were doing and put short-term profits over the health of Americans and the long-term prospects of the species. It's unbelievable to say that, but it's true. In 2015, the federal government spent more on direct and indirect fossil fuel subsidies, $649 billion, than it did on the Pentagon, $599 billion. These subsidies uh, are yet another factor that obscure the true cost of fossil fuels. Uh, that money would be better spent to help individuals transitioning to a sustainable economy. Both the workers who work in these industries and the rest of us who rely on fossil fuels to power our lives. We also absolutely should not be providing leases to companies that are going to exploit public lands, both on and offshore, to harvest oil, gas, and coal. There is no way to get at these resources without permanently damaging our priceless public lands, and yet you can stake a claim to an acre for a buck fifty. We need to stop the practice of providing these leases and move to, an, uh, move to end the current ones as quickly as possible. Similar to ending these leases, we need to do everything we can to prevent further investment in infrastructure designed to support the oil, gas, coal industries. Most visible among these are pipelines. Once invested in, businesses have an interest in keeping them operational long enough to pay back their initial investment and turn profit, which will keep them operational well past the point where they need to be closed down to keep climate change at a imaginable level. Under the EPA's mandate to regulate carbon, we need to increase our clean power plan, uh, sorry, clean power plan targets to make our electricity sector sustainable and force all power plants to meet the standards instead of just ones that are sufficiently upgraded to trigger a new source review. Uh, many communities, especially rural electric cooperatives, are currently using power from coal plants on which they owe billions of dollars. These communities want to shift their energy sources to renewables, but they can't afford to pay off their current debt, which is estimated to be at about $8.4 billion. On the old plants uh, uh, and build new, build new ones, especially as the relative cost of coal increases and will continue to as we end subsidies. The U.S. government can forgive the debt for those co-ops that are looking to make a transition to renewable energy and provide uh, different financing options uh, to these corporate cooperatives to get them to move over to renewable sources. The government also needs to dedicate itself to a massive investment in new technologies and a promise to purchase American-made efficiency in renewable energy technologies. We must plan all infrastructure projects to include environmental-friendly materials and be powered by renewable energy. And we should incentivize uh, corporations to do the same with their businesses. We should also commit to uh, purchasing American-made items at a massive scale in order to, to incentivize business uh, to manufacture these items. Uh, with the size of the federal government, a commitment to buying American efficiency and sustainability products will create a massive demand that American entrepreneurs and businesses will be happy to fill. Uh, since these technologies are, are advanced but still developing, 
it'll be important for the government to also work with the companies innovating in these areas to create certain standards that will allow for interchangeability and upgrading. Uh, no one wants their electric vehicle to only be able to be charged at certain stations because it uses a different standard. Uh, one little thing on that, Elon Musk actually gave away his patents for charging stations um, in uh, an amazing move uh, relatively early on in the, the Tesla thing. Uh, and now the vast majority of, uh, uh, he basically created a standard by giving away all his patents, which was super smart. Yeah, uh, it is smart because it makes his product more appealing to people if they can actually charge it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Uh, think about the last time he needed a USB-C, but could only find a Thunderbolt cable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, cause I know what a Thunderbolt cable is. Is that iPhone? Is that, is that what that is? Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> maybe I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what an iPhone. It's an iPhone cable. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, pr proof that we're going to get our first technologically savvy uh, president. Uh, battery technology will also likely develop rapidly, uh, so we need to make sure that hookups for them are standardized. Uh, it's not likely. Battery technology, I can assure you, is is increasing um, at, a, at a damn near exponential scale. Uh, think about what the world would look like if roads weren't a standard size and how the auto manufacturers never complain uh, that they have to fit a standard to see how welcome this uh, change would be. Uh, we can also plan out our recycling program for batteries as they develop and subsidize research into this process so that we can ensure we don't litter the planet with old batteries as soon as the next generation is released. Sustainability means designing products with their disposal in mind. Um, finally, we need to set uh, sustainable infrastructure standards for all new buildings and base any infrastructure spending on meeting these standards. All federal buildings should also be uh, you know, upgraded to meet these new standards. Uh, so as president, Andrew Yang will end all fossil fuel subsidies and use that money for retraining programs and subsidies, subsidies for low income individuals to transition to sustainable energy sources. Brilliant. Stop all new leases for oil and gas companies on public lands and end any current, uh, currently existing leases. Like that's, that's massive, right? Yeah. Like that, you know, and, and you can, I could totally hear Sarah Palin freaking screaming about that. Uh, it, you know, whole, you know, it's like that whole like fucking drill baby drill thing. Um, so, I mean that just, it, no matter who wins the democratic primary or like, we're going to get some of that stuff, but the, his boldness cannot be understated. Oh, we're just going to get rid of every single oil subsidy, no demand, which is fantastic. And stopping those leases is huge. Like that, that's massive. Yeah. So far the, the things that stand out that impress me, have really been, you know, the fact that he has half the price tag of the Green New Deal. Um, the fact that he has a plan for actually getting past lobbyists and the corrupt um, members of Congress, which, yep. you know, as opposed to just, I'll just persuade them through my partisan argumenting. That's not going to happen. Um, yeah. And uh, um, that he... Well, we we talked about this, but the incentives thing, you know, because changing incentives is cheap and the biggest um, return on investment. So those three things right there make him head and shoulders above the other candidates in terms of climate already. And we still haven't even answered my big question yet, <laughs> uh, which I think which I think is next. Uh, yes. Excellent. So, yeah, pr prepare to be uh, to be excited. Uh, so fighting if any new pipeline or similar infrastructure, especially any that would cut uh, across contested land. Uh, again, another huge thing uh, in a uh, uh, democratic, democratic primary or just if you uh, know that climate change is a real thing. And, it, and, and just striving as that thing, like any corporation that actually successfully makes uh, one of these uh, pipelines has 
an extended timeline that they require that pipeline to be in existence uh, uh, to uh, uh, to recoup their costs and make a profit. Uh, so, it, it, and that cannot be allowed. Like we, there, there is a, a dramatic amount of oil that has to be left in the ground, uh, and so we have to stop it at uh, at the source. So that's super smart. Uh, create more aggressive clean power plant targets, and and the grandfathering in of old plants that haven't been sufficiently upgraded to trigger uh, the NSR, which is uh, short for new source review. I know that because I scrolled back up and found it. Uh, provide a $10 billion uh, debt forgiveness fund for all rural co-ops that are relying on non-renewable sources who want to replace their plants with renewables and uh, provide public financing securitization options for rebuilding with sustainable energy. Commit to equipping and powering all federal buildings with American-made efficiency and clean energy technology. Work to create standards allowing common elements of systems, uh, example batteries, to be easily replaced as the technologies develop. Um, Again, that hack alone is, is over decades, unspeakably huge. Create a plan to recycle elements, e.g. batteries that become obsolete. Uh, set sustainable infrastructure standards for all new buildings, buildings that are being rebuilt or upgraded, and all federal buildings. So, carbon fee and dividend. The cost of burning fossil fuels is paid by all of us, but the benefits are disproportionately gained by industry. There's very little incentive to control the rate at which fossil fuels are burned or CO2 is released into the atmosphere. A carbon fee and dividend, similar to the one proposed by the Conservative Climate Leadership Council, uh, would allow businesses to find market-based solutions to their carbon emissions while benefiting American citizens and providing funding for alternative fuel research and upgrades to our current energy systems. Uh, you can't see that yet, but Rio is putting his thumb up right there. Uh, <laughs> so by having an increase at regular intervals, we can allow businesses to plan for their transition to sustainable energy. By having those intervals be aggressive, we can be sure to hit our net zero target on schedule. Starting at $40 a ton, the fee would raise hundreds of billions of dollars a year, increasing it to uh, uh, $5 a year uh, for the first four years, and then $10 a year until we hit the, uh, oh, increasing it by $5 to $45 uh, for the first four years, and then $10 a year uh, until we hit uh, net zero emissions would ensure that businesses have a deadline for the transition, but can still make the transition on a timeline that makes sense for them. By some estima uh, estimations, even a less aggressive carbon fee structure would reduce emissions by 90% by 2050. And of course, he's got a citation for that as well. But while the amount of money would necessarily decrease over time, uh, eventually zeroing out, we can use the money before that time to help fund the transition to sustainable economies, uh, uh, especially by subsidizing the cost of residential upgrades. So as president, Andrew Yang. Oh, Engel. man, I love that too. It's, I like that he said, especially by subsidizing the cost of what? Residential, Residential upgrades. Meaning yeah. regular people. Once yeah. again, it really is, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a common theme through all of his stuff. He's like, really, do you want me to give all the money to bureaucrats in Washington and trust, like completely trust our future in them? Or should we give like most of that money to you guys? Oh, he wants to give most of that money to us? Right. This is it, why he's going to win. I, I, it's 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 why he should win, yeah. um, and, and again, there's 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 a lot of that in the Green New Deal as well. But one of the things that 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 I come back to personally, especially when it just comes to the energy grid, centralizing the energy grid is why we can't have nice things, right? Centralizing the energy energy grid uh, with uh, uh, you know it's a private company with a public mandate in California as an example, 
right? They, they overcharge. They were given, I think, $30 billion. I'm going to fudge these numbers, but they were given a, 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 a lot of money uh, to do mitigations for, uh, for fires. They didn't spend even half of it, and they took the rest as profit, right? So, like, it's, it's that kind of thing um, is, is, is really, really horrendous. A hurricane goes through uh, uh, Florida, and one power company goes out, we're all out of power. Right, like if everybody had a solar panel on the roof, nobody would notice. Would yeah, no. Be- the, a, a more libertarian approach to that would be instead of subsidizing them, just pass a regulation that says like your power. You know, there's a safety standard for your system, mm-hmm. and if you don't meet that standard, we are going to fine you. Right. See the difference between that. One of them is let's take money from the middle class and give it to super rich people who own all of the power. <laughs> Right. And the other one is, hey, let's like make them actually like do their business in a safe way so that they're not hurting the public. And if they don't do it, let's find them. Right. Well, and even making money and one is giving them money. Right. And like subsidizing regular people to put solar panels on, on their roof. Like here's money to increase the price yeah. of your no, house. I should say, by, of course, by, I meant libertarian with a small L. God is in the libertarian yeah, yeah, yeah. party. Of but course, like just of course. as in the opposite of authoritarian. <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yes. So, uh, create a border carbon adjustment to pre- protect American goods that would. And this is again a hack he could totally make. Uh, charge a fee on imports from countries that don't impose a similar carbon fee or some type of carbon tax. Because uh, again, like it, it's one thing if America does it um, without the rest of the world following along with these standards, which is why leaving the Paris Climate Agreement is such a complete fucking fail. Um, we, if we're not leaders in it, 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 it it's very unlikely that globally we're going to meet targets. So just on that, again, on that line alone, is it just really intense and, and well described. Uh, also provide a rebate on exports to countries that don't impose a similar carbon uh, fee or some type of carbon tax. So it's incentivizing it uh, coming and going. It dedicates at least half of the money raised to the fee to dividends specifically designed to help Americans afford transitions to sustainable energy sources and vehicles. So basically uh, taking money from people that are, uh, you know, externalizing their carbon costs and, uh, you know, giving the majority of it to normal human beings. Uh, But, you know, incentivizing behavior. The freedom freedom dividend and the democracy dollars aren't even the only policies that he has like that, right? Right. It's a theme. it is a common theme in the way he thinks, yep. right? And I, it really is a difference between him and the and the old school left, right? Right. But it's just it's the difference. The contrast between that and the federal jobs guarantee is just it's impossible to exaggerate yep. how fundamentally different those visions are. Well, and, and think about how pathetic this is to to the right, which is doing nothing. Like they, they're literally abdicating common sense. They're abdicating science. They're abdicating reason. They're abdicating any policy proposals that don't automatically give more money to rich people, right? Like the Republican party's dead. Like they're not even part of this discussion and they shouldn't be because I mean, their, their ideas is just to fucking yell and scream about drill. Baby yeah. Drill. I mean, it's debatable whether or not they still count as a right wing party, but I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. But they say Republicans and I completely agree with that statement. Yep. I mean, we, we've had that conversation with the left too. What? Okay. So grid modernization race to the top um which i i don't care what the rest of it says race to the top is better than race to the bottom i've heard that that's a thing that's real uh yeah <laughs> anyway. no, we're on a race to the bottom right now yep right now yes on skis and the slope is is aggressive uh much of our electrical energy infrastructure is old outdated and insecure 
and far too dependent on dirty fossil fuels. Uh, without renewed investment in new cleaner assets and innovative management practices, our energy costs will become increasingly high and environmentally destructive. In order to achieve 100% renewable electricity by 2035, we need to create an economic uh, drive for utilities to invest in updating their infrastructure while motivating innovation. We can do this with a race to the top type competition where utilities compete to enact certain reforms and the winners receive federal monies to reduce the capital cost of their investment. That reminds me of like a, an X prize, but ongoing and for giant utilities. And that's really interesting. The benefits of competition once again. All right, I'm all about it. <laughs> uh, investor owned municipal utilities and separately cooperatives would compete in two separate categories for a pool of $25 billion each. These utilities would be given two years to enact certain reforms or hit certain targets with points being awarded for achieving the goals based on a schedule of points. Uh, Off-schedule points would be awarded by industry experts for innovation that achieve similar goals to the prescribed methods. A points floor would be set and anyone above the floor would receive awards from the central pool proportional to their points. So he's like gamifying the biggest problem in the world. <laughs> it's just so fun. Uh, reforms and criteria would include, uh, but would not be limited to, installation of smart meters, uh, free, easy access for account holders to uh, interval data, streamlined interconnection processes, short interconnection processing turnarounds, uh, tariffs designed to encourage renewable systems of all sizes, implementation of active or passive control standards that enable real-time management of distributed assets not under direct utility ownership. This guy's a fucking nerd. I like it. Methods of differentiating and optimizing the financial concerns of administration, transmission, production, and consumption as separate grid system functions. Uh, net uh, decarbonization from the installation and retirement of various assets. Uh, stakeholder education and outreach, including account holders, developers, and contractors. Robust IT security for metering and control systems, demonstrating a continued interest past the end uh, date of the race to the top and continuing to implement these changes. So as president, I will. Courses and Yang create a race to the top style com competition to drive innovation in our grid system by the private sector, invest 50 billion in incentives for private companies and investment in new modern infrastructure, uh, invest $150 billion in upgrading our current electric infrastructure systems. Damn, Daniel. Uh, yeah, and um, um, of course, another standout thing is that Yang supports nuclear energy, which is just absolutely essential. Um, that's that's exactly the problem as fast and as inexpensively as possible so I, are you reading along is that but that's the, that's next oh is it no yeah. i just i just you paused and i realized that when i was listing what's great about yang's policies i named four things and i left out nuclear energy which might even be the biggest biggest one and it is a huge contrast from a lot of people on the left right well and in incentivizing you know decarbonizing energy um that this this is this is quite possibly the lowest hanging fruit. Um, and I just oh, want to yeah. harken back to... Uh, um, I mean, honestly, we could basically solve the entire climate problem by just doing the carbon fee and dividend, even if we did nothing else. Because private enterprise would be forced to find other ways of providing power. Right. Suddenly, thorium reactors are twice as, uh, twice as profitable. Yeah, exactly. Or, or whatever, just, right? like the that, market yeah. would just take care of it, honestly. You know? And it, honestly, the that's, reason that's, I'm okay with yep, Yang's investments is because he's paying for it with said dividend. Right. I mean, I, I just like I heard the numbers. I heard it like he's talking. He's going to bring in two hundred, three hundred billion dollars a year. Yep. yep. That would that would that would cover his four point something trillion dollars over 20 years. That's that that's fine. Close to it. I think it's like uh, I mean, between, like you said, you over time, the revenue from it would go down would, because it would it diminish. Succeeding. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that would be a sign of success. Oh, no. if the right, exactly. Right we yeah. we could have worse problems, like say yeah. climate change. Uh, so uh, <laughs> nuclear power stopgap. And again, we had a, a, a an amazing guy on uh, to talk about uh, uh, nuclear power and was was awesome at uh, demystifying it for us. And we talked about thorium reactors. And I'm uh, newly oh, obsessed. Oh, and with also, wait, 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 wait. The dividend, right? Part of that, I remember reading when he was uh, from another policy of his, part of the carbon fee and dividend, part of the dividend is actually getting rolled into the UBI. So it's also part yeah. of how he's funding. So he, I mean, like anybody who's concerned about, for example, the cost of gas going up as a consequence of that, which would happen, right? Yep. Okay, yeah, but you're also getting an extra $1,000 a month, right? So right. He's, he's thought about all of the possible negative consequences of these things and you know what, if I had to think of a single thing that sets him apart from the other Democrats in the running right now is that he does that, right? It's easy to have solutions with the big hammer of the government. It's hard to, to take seriously the possible side effects and then work them into your system. And Yang has done that. Well, it's, I think people like Sanders and, and Warren, I'd say Biden, but he doesn't have a fucking idea in his head at all about anything. Um, yeah, but he at least won't make things worse, which is, you know, that's the appeal that's of him to me. The best thing you can say about Biden is he won't <laughs> yeah. do anything, uh, which, which you would know, be a huge improvement over what's happening right now. <laughs> that is a fact that I cannot argue. Um, but, you know, they're, they're, you know, Warren or, 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 or Sanders, the ideas that they're coming up with, uh, up to and including the Green New Deal, are stemming from taking ideas from the, 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 the realm of politics. Right, things that are just outside the Overton window, but are generally in activist circles, that kind of thing. Uh, and then you know you throw those in the, in the blender, and here's your policy proposal, and 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 whatever. Yeah, but what do you know? Politicians and activists, none of whom are experts on energy. Well, the or the climate. activists actually are. So that's oh that's well, I don't know about that. I, I mean, do. I, guess I know it, depends, it for, depends I know it for how, a fact. Depends, so depends on how you define activists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about like the blue haired people who show up with signs and say, "Ah, you're gonna." none of this was my point um <laughs> i'm just saying but like those are those yeah. are not the people who should be making decisions experts should be making the decisions all i was trying to say here <laughs> before we started talking about screaming blue hairs um <laughs> was that it is very clear that andrew yang approaches things from first principles um, and then finds every expert he can possibly find and and pulls them for the best collection of ideas and only seems to accept ideas that are going to be easy tweaks from an incentive perspective um, uh, and that all complement each other, which all of his ideas seem to tend to do yeah. at and which almost doesn't, a perfect And which rate. doesn't put the burden of paying for it all on regular working Americans. Right. That's clutch for me personally. Uh, it, uh, no, one, no one is surprised. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so nuclear power stopgap. Uh, nuclear power is a crucial component in the move towards creating sustainable carbon-free energy in the United States. However, many people, including some other candidates, oh, shots fired, dismiss it out of hand. Uh, why does it have such a bad reputation? Two reasons. First, the public's perception of its safety has been skewed by TV shows like Chernobyl and The Simpsons. <laughs> Simpsons. Uh, second, nuclear waste is a dangerous and long-lasting, uh, and disposing of it is expensive. Chernobyl was very scary. Uh, both points are less of an issue with modern reactors. Uh, when the OECD, uh, NEA, and NASA analyzed the actual danger of nuclear energy compared to other sources, they found that it caused orders of magnitude fewer deaths in fossil fuel-based energy, uh, and that's not even considering the long-term impact of climate change from burning fossil fuels. 
so I want to stick on that. We went into it in the, uh, the episode that, uh, the, that, that we did. Um, and when he talks about a couple orders of magnitude, it's understand like we're talking about hundreds to thousands of times less factually dangerous than oil and gas. And not even considering the millions of people who are going to die as a consequence. That's, that's, exactly, <laughs> that's exactly it, right? Like that, you know, and, and hundreds of millions of refugees. Like, you could add another order of magnitude on there if you take that in. Or two, right? Yeah, like that, which it, is insane. It really, really is. And so, and, and it's important to understand too, like Chernobyl was a piece of shit reactor that they knew was a piece of shit and it was built in the freaking 50s or 60s or whatever the hell it was. And yes, yeah, it blew and the up Soviets and were also trying to save a penny by making nuclear weapons and nuclear power in the same facility. Which, and if you could do it, get, you know, uh, you know bully for you, right? But they, that's not how any of this uh, works, apparently. The reactors that are coming out now, the, all the data we're getting at, even, you know, the 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 ones that were built by, by GE, the one that I'm still concerned about being the one at uh, Fukushima, there's actually one right north of San Diego that uh, is exactly the same reactor. You know, I find those to be pretty freaking concerning because they're going to have to be decommissioned and moved. Um, but they can be, right? So that's like a thing that exists that we, can, that we can do. The new reactors now, they're basically built to fail. They're, they're built with the explicit purpose of when this fails, this is what happens, right? Right. And the single most effective way of getting rid of the old reactors is to build new, safer ones so that we can do That's so. right. And again, I, I properly incentivized, this is a complete no-brainer. You know, they, they found a lot of uranium, uh, and I'm sure at some point he's going to be talking about, oh, he does too, uh, about, uh, about thorium. So let me just continue. But like the, 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 the danger, because I, I, I newly converted on this topic. When you do the math on the danger between a thousand times, and if we take into to effect, uh, 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 you know, take into the data set, what is going to come from climate change? Millions of times safer to a hundred X the number of nuclear reactors on the planet than it is to keep going the way that we're going. Um, and once you understand that, like it has to crack your mind open. You have to allow that data to get into your brain because it's real. Yeah. And if you haven't yet, go back and listen to the bear cave where, um, uh, AJ convinced um, Corey. Was it Bear Cave? Yeah, I think it was. Well, no, it wasn't actually. The Bear Cave wasn't on the topic of energy. It was on a different topic. The energy came up. Also, listen to Richard Rhodes' interview. That's, That's the, the Richard Rhodes the, and and yeah. and you know because we prepare so much for our interviews. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, but I did. Like I, you know, I, I knew from the conversation that we had before that that I I definitely had some uh, uh, some evolving to do on that topic. So I was doing some reading and, and reading into what Rhodes had done previously and i mean it's just a, it's an incontrovertible fact that nuclear is safer you know like if you look at all of the available data there is no way to get that assessment wrong there just isn't um, yeah. and we have the capacity to make these things safer all the time and to deal with all the the externalities uh, in in relatively easy ways uh, and that's all before talking about fucking thorium which we're going to talk about in a second uh, so with modern reactors safety is drastically increased and nuclear waste is drastically decreased over the completion of the Manhattan Project, America explored the option of using thorium as a potential source for civilian nuclear power. In the 1960s, the United States experimented with a thorium reactor to generate power, but the project was shelved in the 1970s. All the while, research into nuclear fusion devices continued in labs throughout the U.S. Why do we go with uranium instead of thorium? Uranium is used in nuclear weapons. Thorium isn't. So here we are with that government trying to, to you know, pinch pennies making nuclear weapons as well as power. Oh, wait, no, that's not Russia. That's us. Uh, so <laughs> not, not in the same um, building, though. <laughs> that's true. Well, that you know of. Uh, oh, that, that's true. That we may have also done that. If so, then yeah, yeah. Us. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, what are you going to do? If, and if you could do both, I mean, that's, that's fine. Anyway, thorium uh, isn't used in nuclear weapons. Uh, yet another benefit to using thorium as a, uh, as a power source. So uh, thorium reactors have a few key advantages. And if you hear molten salt, it's the same thing. Thorium reactors have a few key advantages over traditional uranium reactors. One ton of thorium could potentially produce roughly 200 times more energy than one ton of uranium and 3.5 million times more energy than one ton of coal. I'm reading that again in case you missed it. One ton of thorium could potentially produce roughly 200 times more energy than one ton of uranium and 3.5 million times more energy than one ton of coal. That's just fun. Also, but, but we have to keep doing coal and putting nasty chemicals into the atmosphere just because why? Because we have to save the poor coal miners who what, can't get a job doing something else. Oh, that sounds kind of lefty, doesn't that? Doesn't that sound kind of lefty, Corey? <laughs> it doesn't sound kind of lefty. No, so, it totally does. It totally no. does. It's all about saving. It's all about saving the jobs of people with big government interventions. You can want to save jobs without being an idiot. I don't think that our energy policy should be based on saving anybody's job. That no, it can't be. Like it, this is I, like I always follow this through if a natural security jobs, risk. It should be a side effect, right? Right. If your full, if your main goal is just to get people to vote for you by promising that you know, what the, the, the 1950s world that they lived in where somebody who didn't graduate high school can make $120,000 a year mining coal, yep. um, then that's what you're going to say. Yeah. Apparently if you're an a-hole. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's obviously we need to, we need to be uh, moving forward on all this stuff. Uh, so uh, points on thorium, there's roughly three times more thorium on earth than uranium. And we are already mining it as a byproduct of other rare earth element mining. Uh, right now we're literally just burning it back in the ground. Uh, one of the things we talked about in our previous, previous episode, you could actually uh, mine it just by filtering it out of water, like the ocean water, which is incredible. Um, but China is actually uh, already looking at uh, coal ash, like burnt coal, mining it out of used coal deposits, uh, 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 which, is, which is pretty fun. Thorium mining is substantially safer than uranium, uranium mining, thorium's primary ore. Monazite is retrieval from open pits, which receives greater ventilation than underground shafts, from which uranium is mined, decreasing uh, miners' exposure to, uh, to radon. Also, like thorium in and of itself is actually less uh, uh, radioactive than, uh, uh, than uranium is. Thorium reactors produce less waste than uranium reactors. Thorium waste remains radioactive for several hundreds of years instead of several thousand years. It's actually tens of thousands of years uh, for uranium. Thorium-based molten salt reactors are safer than earlier generation nuclear reactors, and the potential for a catastrophic event is negligible due to the design of the reactor and the fact that thorium is not itself uh, by itself fissile. So just to describe why this happens, you actually have to, the reason why they call it molten salt, you have to put enough energy into uh, the thorium mixture to get it very, very hot. You literally have to, to, to melt it uh, to, the, to, uh, to make it continue to, uh, to produce excess energy, right? And, and you have to keep that process going. So 10% or whatever percentage of the energy produced is actually going back in to keep this thing molten. So if you had a runaway reaction, which actually is impossible with thorium, but like if you had a problem with it, you could just stop sending energy back into it um, and it automatically cools and stops the reaction. Which is why when we say it's safer, like it really, really is uh, something that, uh, uh, that is far and away, you know, better than even the safest reactors we're doing today, which again is far safer than anything the oil and gas industry is doing, not even including the catastrophic elements of climate change. 
So nuclear isn't a perfect solution, but it's a solid solution for now and a technology we should invest in as a stopgap for any shortfalls we have in our renewable energy sources as we move to a future powered by renewable energy. But as president, I will invest $50 billion in research and development for thorium-based molten salt reactors and nuclear fusion reactors to provide a green energy source for Americans. Fusion, I would love for that to work, but it doesn't look like it you know, is going too soon. That's a whole other topic. Engage in a public relations to, a campaign to update the reputation of nuclear reactors. Smart. Have nu new uh, uh, nuclear reactors start to come online by 2027. What um, did you mean by um, you'd love for it to work, but you don't think it will anytime soon? So nuclear fusion is basically where you use a giant, they're actually toroidal now, like uh, think of a, a donut that you twist. Uh, they look really, really awesome. Um, you're basically creating fusion the and it's basically you know hydrogen or, or, or helium you're creating a star that they keep in place with magnets it's like don't get me wrong it's really really cool but it creates a, a, a ridiculous demand for energy to make it work once you have it working uh to where you're you've literally got this sun level fusion reaction uh in in a bottle uh then you can extract energy and heat from that uh, and, and they've done many, many different versions of it. Some of them have gotten kind of close, but it's really, really hard to do. And it's really, really hard to get it to put more energy out than it's putting in. Uh, so again, I, I, I would love to be wrong about that. There's a lot of things that are on the drawing table. Most of them are kind of underwhelming. Uh, and so again, Yang's just talking about spinning a, a small chunk of the budget researching that on right. the off I mean, chance that it should pays it, off. Right. Should it be funded? Yes. Because if you can fund that, you can extract hydrogen out of water with a microcosm of the energy that you're actually producing uh, and then produce free energy for the rest of time. <laughs> like it, like it, so it, it's worth trying. <laughs> 100%. Right? It, like it, and it's, it, things are... It, it's, I, I don't want to say that it's not moving because it is. From the scientific perspective, there are, there are people trying new designs that are very, very promising. If we get that right, this whole debate is over forever it's just electricity and we have as much of it as we as as, as, we as long as we can get past the oil lobbyists <laughs> right yes exactly exactly fucking oil lobbyists anyway so we're not even halfway through a sustainable economy transportation uh ground transportation contributes to 29 percent of all u.s greenhouse gas emissions uh, we need to eliminate our transportation emissions by converting our modes of transportation to clean and renewable energy by 2040 the government needs to set aggressive standards, especially since vehicles stay on the road for decades after their manufacture. In order to hit our zero emissions target, we need to require all models from 2030 on to be zero emission vehicles. This uh, new fleet of primarily electric vehicles will require a massive installment of EG, EV uh, charging stations. Several states are already investing heavily in research of charging capabilities and installment of EV charging stations in big cities. For example, California has a goal of 1.5 million uh, uh, ZEVs by 2025, which includes investing 800 million over 30 months to install EV charging stations. Utility companies are also investing 1 billion in electric infrastructure. Uh, we need to make sure that the areas in between the big cities are not left behind. Uh, my plan will invest 50 billion in EV charging station infrastructure in order to ensure that there is complete coverage of charging stations across the country. Additionally, we need to move public transportation to renewables. Public transit infrastructure all over the country is crumbling. The backlog cost to fix it is 90 billion, just to fix it, is 90 billion and estimated to reach 122 billion by 2032. The government needs to start funding these projects now or else we risk losing more money. That's just common sense. Since we need to spend this money anyway, we might as well invest more upfront to make our public transit systems run on renewable energy. 
Every state operates a, a different public transit system. So it's important that the federal dollars earmarked for sustainable public transit be given directly to the states with specific standards and expectations of net zero emission public transit by 2040 attached. The federal government can establish these standards, create a central database to share data between the states and provide grants to states to ensure they make the transitions to fully renewable public transit. Yeah, but also trusting local lawmakers to actually implement it as opposed to expecting the gov federal government to to do everything themselves. So it's a little decentralized right. there, which is nice. Right. The, the money basically just says you have to meet this standard. How they meet that standard is entirely up to them, which I think is good. Uh, so a Yeah, because they know their local area better. You know. Right. And, and maybe maybe they've got uh, the capacity to make a thorium reactor. They've got uh, uh, you know different ways of achieving that. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, 100%. All right, so uh, air transportation. We're going to ban your fucking airplanes, which for the record, the Green New Deal never actually says. <laughs> uh, but, you know, any, anything to, to scare dummies is what the Republican Party is going to do. Uh, no current technology exists that would produce a fleet of planes that could serve all Americans completely emission-free. Fully electric aircraft at that scale aren't likely to, be, uh, to exist before 2050. Uh, I just like the fact that he's actually suggesting they will be because that's, that's, that's a heavy lift, pun intended. Aircraft, aircraft also have a long life. Many planes flown today will still be flying 20 or 30 years from now. Uh, in order to move our air transportation emissions toward net zero by 2040, we will need to find alternative fuels that can significantly reduce current aircraft emissions and establish enough carbon capture systems to capture the aircraft emissions that remain. The government will invest in the carbon capture piece of the puzzle and we will require the private and commercial sector to figure out how to meet the lower emission standard with alternative fuel. The government should also provide incentives to commercial airlines that utilize a certain number of minimal emission aircraft. Yes? Yeah, no, I like that. I, I, I like the idea of requiring private enterprise to meet a standard instead of just more corporate welfare. Brute forcing it. And I think if you're going to use tax dollars for something, um, and by the way, we're probably talking about tax dollars from the carbon fee, um, especially up front initially, mm -hmm. um, not taxes on the middle class. If you're going to require tax dollars to do something, carbon capture seems like a, like a, a good, good use of that money because it's yep. not necessarily something that a private company is going to be motivated to do. Right. Right. But <laughs> uh, it's, it's, where, whereas you absolutely yeah. can rely on, uh, you know, Boeing to want to keep making a profit when the laws change. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's a no brainer. I right? like that. Like you should have to pay for the societal cost of the damage that you're doing like that, that the whole idea that there's externalities without cost for, you know, corporations is, it has always been ridiculous. So it's a, just a smart, uh, a smart change. Um, as uh, research continues and technology develops, the government will also have uh, skin in the game. The federal government needs to invest 20 billion, uh, then less than half the amount awarded to defense aircraft contractors in 2019. Whole annually. Whoa. Okay. So yeah, we need to invest 20 billion. That's less than half the amount awarded to defense aircraft contractors in 2019 annually for 15 years of developing uh, low emission aircraft for our military and government air travel. If the government manages to come up with a realistic fuel alternative before private research development, the government will happily share its findings. Couple things on this. Um, the billions of dollars going to uh, defense aircraft contractors is the most gross kind of, 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 you know, government malfeasance that you can imagine. You mean right? because and, we don't have any need for them? Well, not only do we not have any need for it, uh, I'm li like literally just going to drive all the way into Rio town and live there for a minute, just, just so that you can prepare yourselves for that. Um, 
you could it, this 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 is I think the biggest glaring example of why you know centralizing government power and then having elected officials uh, basically cut themselves checks for their states by awarding uh, contracts to to uh, to local uh, uh, you know Lockheed Martin or Boeing or whatever uh, is so unbelievably gross. Like they the uh, the last uh, um, you know airplane that uh, that came out the F thirty five. Uh, is came in like a hundred times over budget or whatever it was. Uh, and, you know, it's supposed to be completely invisible. It's supposed to be this joint strike uh, capacity that basically does every single kind of mission that the, uh, the Air Force does or whatever, right? It's supposed to be this fantastic thing. Never actually been able to do any of that, even though it looks like a fucking spaceship. Yay, that, that, it looks really, really cool. Um, but the whole idea is it's supposed to be stealth. We're supposed to be, you know, uh, completely invisible to anything that anybody would come up with for 20 years. The Chinese covered their countries in little versions of an Xbox uh, that can spot them every single time easily. Those boxes cost $300, right? So the, the, the entire stealth thing was blown away before these things even saw any service. Uh, so just all of that stuff, combine all of that with the fact that uh, Lockheed and Boeing are currently 10 years behind on NASA contracts to put uh, uh, people in space and to get people to Mars. Uh, and Elon Musk is designing a whole new system privately with a private frickin' spaceship company um, that will be a thousand times more effective than anything they're currently doing in rocketry. Literally a thousand times more lift potential than anything going on at uh, these these government-funded entities, which is incredible. It's been bonkers. Yeah. Yeah, and Yang does. I mean, he's made so many public statements that make it completely clear that he is not naive when it comes to what the government is capable of doing and what the government is not capable right. of doing. Yep. And we can't keep doing things just because we've been doing it. You know, Neil deGrasse Tyson is one of the smartest people on the face of the earth. He went on Rogue and he said, no, the, the only people that are going to get us into space is, is, uh, is NASA and the government programs. That's just hmm. factually incorrect, right? <laughs> one guy decided rockets could land on their ass because physics doesn't say that they can't and cut the cost of launching things into space by 95%, right? And then you can't make a big rocket because that's completely and totally ridiculous. Okay, he's going to launch something that with one ship could bring 100 people to Mars at a time, right? He's just, there's, there's no government entity that's ever been able to think in those terms. And so this is just one of those yeah. things where if you can figure out how to incentivize private corporations to do these things and then fund that, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's just going to have 10x the effect. Right. Part of the problem is that if the if as the government, your reliance upon, you know, your budget is basically farming workers because income taxes are taxes on labor. So your your way of funding things is to just farm people. <laughs> you talk, you talk, the left talks about how like capitalists exploit the, the working class. What the hell do they think labor taxing labor in order to fund government programs is? That sounds pretty exploitative if you ask me. In any case. Um, if, you, if, that's, if that's your way of funding stuff, then you don't have the same motivation to try to figure out how to, how to save money. You're not right. going to, to invest in rockets that can you know, sit down. You're not going to do that because you just have this never-ending supply of money provided by workers. Um, whereas a private company has every motivation to try to save money because a penny saved is a penny earned and they're trying to make a profit. Yep. And the more profitable a company, the more the VAT will be effective. Yeah, exactly. I and mean, we should want the companies to be profitable too. Right. That's the other thing is Yang's VAT situation makes, instead of, instead of thinking of corporations as the boogeyman, like Warren and Sanders clearly do, Yang's like, hey, look, we want corporate America to be successful. That's good for us because 
again, I have a way to tax it. <laughs> right. Well, and make it human, right? Like, like being angry at, at, at corporations and kleptocracy and the oligarchy and all that kind of, I think it's, it, it is, no, I don't think it is perfectly justifiable. But the way that you but go the anger about isn't going to solve the problem. That's it's exactly going it. to make problems worse. Because it could. When people are angry. They don't think rationally, and then they elect people who do things that make problems worse. It's like their 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 ideas just aren't as good, and they're not uh, addressing these things from first principles the way that uh, the way that Yang is. Uh, yeah, just understanding that the the VAT. I remember like when you were when you were explaining to me like how the whole the whole markup thing. When I finally understood it, I was like, "Fuck, that's awesome." Because it is. Yeah, it really, really is. Because it's impossible to get away from it. That's exactly it. no way to avoid paying it. That's exactly it. Um, uh, see as opposite example, the wealth tax that it will be, I assure you, if they pass it, it'll be easy to get around it and only dumb rich people will pay it. And GDP would go down too because people would take, would, would divest their, their wealth. They would just, they would just, they would take their wealth out of the country. It wouldn't or, or or create a foundation or or, or like well, there are 10, so many ways of doing it like right. divide it up amongst the family you know right and, and it's not it's not like it wouldn't produce any any revenue it will it'll just probably be about fifteen percent of expected revenue um and and won't it won't and what it's expected really impact anything isn't even that much anyway it's not even, right exactly it's just like backing that idea instead of a vat it's, it's criminal malfeasance on the part of elizabeth sanders and 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 uh and and, and Warren. yeah and i would say the same thing about a, did i say elizabeth federal, sanders i did, did. I, I would say Either the same way. thing about a federal jobs guarantee as opposed to a vat and ubi right yep. I mean, one of them is workfare the federal jobs guarantee like some some of the the economists who support that specifically say part of the reason they support it is because they it's a way of getting people off welfare okay so right. They're, 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 because what they're going to say is if you qualify for one of these guaranteed jobs, then you don't get welfare. You get Just the job. Think about a lot how, Workfare. how, if, how if, much. If anybody other than Bernie Sanders was, was proposing that, if it was being proposed by a Republican, do you think the Bernie bros would, would like, they wouldn't hesitate to call it workfare because that's exactly what it is. I had never heard that term. And honestly, it isn't, it isn't vicious enough to describe exactly how stupid this idea is. It's incredibly vicious. And, it, and no, I get, no, Yang's, Yang's I not going to force anybody. They, 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 they think it, the Bernie bros have the gall to accuse Yang of trying to force people off welfare when he gives them a choice and what's he yep. doing he's giving them free money he's saying like look you can stay on welfare and get your benefits if you want or you can take this thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life no questions asked and also go get a job that's up to you you have an option yep. whereas sanders is the one who's going to literally force people off welfare and force them to take like these horrible jobs that the federal I mean, jobs guarantee that are going to be bad for their psyche right. the federal jobs guarantee is a lobbyist wet dream it's a terrible policy, <laughs> right? Like think you're a lobbyist in Washington and suddenly there is a federally mandated group of slaves that will do whatever government program you can get passed for your state. And they pay themselves because the government has to tax labor in order to pay their salary. So at some it's point just, it becomes completely circular. The middle class taxes will be 80% at some point. It's just <laughs> bad. It's just bad. I wish people could see that. And, and, and again, in the, in the absence of, of anything else, the more I learn about the federal jobs guarantee, the more I still fucking think it's stupid. So like, you know, let that be a lesson to you from the left. It's not good. And again, it comes from a good place. Obviously that's like the one through line with Bernie Sanders, all of his, in, you know, all of his personal incentives, what he's trying to achieve is to limit suffering. And I've never seen anything to suggest otherwise. He, his heart is in the right place. His ideas are in the wrong place. It's just not good. 
Anyway, so uh, we, uh, we I, I, yeah, no, I think I think that sometimes when people have the intention of alleviating suffering, they'll actually increase it. Not just some like history has shown us that happens a lot. It's too too often, and again, it's like like the idea of communism writ large started as a really really well thought idea. Did not end well Did anywhere on earth, right? Like the, you can you can probably find a communist commune of less than three hundred people where it's like, oh, this works pretty well. Anything bigger than that, it's not going to work. Right. And what's funny about it is capitalism, because of its free market and the economic liberty that it gives people to have private capital and do whatever they want with it, capitalism makes it possible for people to have those little communes. Whereas if you had a communist society, would you be able to create a little capitalist bubble? Hell no. Sure. I mean, capitalism writ large has almost destroyed the entire fucking planet and made it unlivable. So, you know, dial it down. (laughs) It's also raised billions of people out of poverty. Yes. Far more, far more than communism ever did to, uh, to, 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 to give you that. So uh, a sustainable economy as it pertains to agriculture, forestry, and land use because the mother effer has thought of everything. So agriculture makes up nearly one trillion of the U.S. economy. Uh, American farms feed the world and our natural lands are a national treasure. Uh, both are also impacted by climate change, can be a driver of climate change, and need to be a part of the solution to the climate crisis we're facing. Our current farming techniques were built up over a century where the primary concern was creating enough food to feed Americans and make profit. Now we also have to contend with climate change. Local climates are changing, natural disasters, especially floods, droughts, and wildfires are becoming more frequent, and our soil is becoming depleted. We need to, uh, the government to work together with private enterprises to, better steward, uh, to be better stewards for our land to ensure that we can continue to feed our people with nutritious food. The government needs to ensure that farms that experiment with new, more sustainable techniques have the money they need to test these techniques and still be protected in case it de- decreases yields. Uh, we also need to invest in alternatives to traditional farming, such as vertical farming techniques. Um, I don't know if he's going to mention this in here, but I just listened to a podcast with a, with a lady that's talking about sustainable uh, um, cyclical ocean farming. Um, and just farming kelp, as an example, uh, can lock in, recapture more carbon than just about anything that we're looking at uh, uh, as far as like carbon capturing technology. It would actually just make sense to, uh, to make these giant three-dimensional kelp farms that can also do mollusks. It was really, really cool. Anyway, there's, 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 there's ideas around that. You know, the coastal ecosystems are going to uh, have the capacity to be part of this as well. Uh, so the federal government can also work with states to determine what crops are most sustainable in their areas and track changes as climate change shifts the local climate. Uh, use data. I like it. Federal government has given nearly $400 million in farming sub- subsidies since 1995. Subsidies help protect our food supply from bad years of extreme and unpredictable weather. Adjusting our agricultural system to adapt with climate change is a good example of why farming subsidies were created in the first place. A portion of planned farming subsidies over the next 15 years should be redirected specifically towards sustainable techniques and exploration of alternative farming methods. Uh, So we also need to make better use of our land, uh, and the IPCC has laid out uh, a great list of ways we can improve that. The Department of Agriculture should investigate the best grazing and livestock land management techniques and uh, provide reports to states and private enterprises on them. We need to identify land where we can plant more trees and also take an active hand and expand the resources needed to rejuvenate our high carbon ecosystems. Uh, by the way, my dog is dreaming right there, which is really funny. He's <laughs> <laughs> like just barking in his sleep. Goofball. Uh, such as uh, peatlands, wetlands, rangelands, and mangroves. Uh, we can also decrease the stress on our farmlands by decreasing food waste. Supermarkets can receive tax incentives to waste less food. 
This can be done through encouraging the donation of food. It can also be done by encouraging better inventory management instead of overstocking. Supermarkets can be encouraged to understock with differences being made up through tax credits. Uh, they Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, we should probably make it clear the reason he's talking about farming all of a sudden, it's not a non sequitur. It's because farming practices actually contribute a lot to the CO2 in the atmosphere. Well, yeah, not only that, like the, the way that climate will change is going to be by creating droughts where you're not usually having droughts by creating uh, rain events where you're not usually having rain events. Uh, and so when he's talking about researching alternative ways to do farming, he's increasing the, the, uh, um, the resiliency of our ability to farm writ large because right, these changes yeah. are so coming. I guess, right? I, guess like that's that. an, I guess that's another thing that's awesome about his climate policy is that he is, it's, it's summed up by the whole move to higher ground thing, right? There's a lot that's of, exactly that's a metaphor. There's a yep. lot of things involved in moving to higher ground. One of them is like, make sure that when the droughts come, our people don't starve. Right. Like, the, like we, we can protect our ability to have a farming industry period. Uh, and that's, that's the thing. Like the, the IPCC, the, the number of stories that I've been reading about things being at the worst end of the suggested possible scale um, is mind boggling and terrifying. And climate change is now basically a foregone conclusion it's a matter of, is this a thing where human beings learn how to cooperate at a, at a rate and capacity to basically geoengineer our planet into a, 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 a state that we can manage? Or we literally have to fucking live underground and oxygen production stops in the ocean and we have to start producing it on our own, right? Like that, like that's, those are our options. Um, and so, you know, having somebody like Andrew Yang even to be an example in this, and I mean, the other Democrats have, whether we like it or not, you know, their their ideas are a million times better than the complete lack of ideas coming out of the Republican Party because they just want to stick their heads up their donors' asses and do nothing. Uh, you know that it, it's 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 important to to man to be able to think about this stuff on this scale. And again, half the cost just changing incentives so that business will automatically want to do what they should have been doing anyway, but now can actually, can actually do. Well, and, the, and the bottom an line is for, for all of the reasons we're talking about, Yang's approach is also just more likely to work. Pass. Yeah. hundred percent to pass. Right. Yep. Because he, he has, he has, has solutions for getting, for dealing with the lobbyists and dealing with uh, Congress people. Yep. And, and, and when, when push comes to shove, you know, the party that is concerned about the possible negative side effects of these policies, Right you're going to win the argument against them by saying, oh, don't worry about it. I already took those into consideration. Here's how I address them, right? Yep. Not, oh, well, who cares? We don't care if the economy, we don't care if negative consequences happen to the economy. We need to do it anyway. That's not going to work, right? You, Yang's approach is just, it's just smarter politics too. Yeah, exactly. Well, and treating it as an opportunity because it, it is, right? Like that if we, if we do the whole shiny freaking city on a hill thing, you know, we used to actually be for technological advancement as opposed to like just going back to the fucking Bible over and over again. Um, and, and exporting that expertise all over the world, exporting leadership on this all over the world and, and being a, 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 a node for inspiration as opposed to just a node for fucking getting laughed at all over the world. Cause our president's a fucking moron like that. You know, one of these is better. Yeah, no, I mean, we've talked about this a few times. Yes. The, the 20th, the 20th century was called the American century by historians because we were on top of the world and we're on our way down right now. We're on our way down in terms of global influence and we're on our way down in terms of economic competition. Um, and, and 
Trump is making both of those things worse. I personally think Sanders would make them worse. I, I, not completely sure about the overall impact of Warren's policies, whether they would be overall positive or negative. But Yang is the only person running who I think has the ability to put us back on top again. And so the people who believe in America first and patriotism and all of that, they should be for Yang more than anything, you know, because I mean, if you want America to be on top of the world, then we need to be able <laughs> we need to take seriously what it takes to actually make that happen. Right. And uh, yeah, so these, you're right. It is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to make us an economic um, superpower again. I mean, we still are, but we're on our way down right now. Like we're we're yeah. we're losing ground. That, honestly, like, we, we need to be. We we want to be way back on top again. Like we. Yeah. Um. So uh, just to finish off the uh, the farming thing. He says finally we need to make better use of organic waste, both from livestock and from trash. Biogas, the type of biofuel that is generated by the decomposition of organic material, can generate a large amount of electricity from what would otherwise be a giant source of methane and carbon dioxide. Uh, the EESI estimates that we can add over 10,000 new biogas systems, which would generate electricity, reduce emissions, and save municipalities a lot of money on both transporting waste and maintaining landfills. I should note that the new version of the, uh, the Raptor engines that are going to be strapped to the ass of the giant BFR rockets... Um, are going to be designed to run on methane. Uh, and when they burn, they will basically be releasing oxygen and water into the atmosphere. That's which is awesome. Pretty rad. Yeah. So uh, as President Andrew Yang, uh, or I will uh, provide grants and guarantees. It's, it's weird how he writes these ones out. Uh, provide grants and guarantee profitability for farms that experiment with new sustainable techniques. Increase farm bill subsidies by $75 billion over the 15 years. Uh, over the next 15 years for farms that experiment with new sustainable techniques, invest $2 billion in research for vertical farming techniques. Um, again, I hope that he adds coastal farming into that, although it could definitely go into the same uh, realm. Direct the Department of Agriculture to provide reports to states and private enterprises to help them improve their grazing and livestock land management. Work with states to determine sustainable crops for their areas and suggest changes as climate change continues to advance. Increase funding to biogas programs by tripling the current annual mandatory funding for biogas to $200 million. Uh, Authorize a $500 million increase to federal agencies tasked with maintaining land to increase uh, afforestation while rejuvenating high-carbon ecosystems such as peatlands, wetlands, rangelands, and mangroves. Actually funnels into what I was talking about. Uh, invest in research for drought-resistant crops. Uh, provide $300 million in tax credit to incentivize supermarkets to waste less food, either through donations or inventory management changes and to source more local foods. All right. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should clarify, like, what? why are we okay with certain, um, basically, corporate subsidies? I mean, at this point, a, a lot of farming is corporate, right? Yep. So why are we okay with it in this case and not in other cases? Yeah, it, well, and it should be noted, too, that the uh, a lot of the checks that were supposed to be going out to for, you know, the, the tariff socialism situation, um, or only going to the big uh, companies like local, like the, the number of farmers going bankrupt right now. Oh, like right. Well, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, the contrast with Trump is pretty big. If you're a farmer, you should definitely not like Trump and you should like, well, and that's, that's, uh, that's shit. I mean, that's <clears> so like, so Trump's, Trump's farm subsidies are intended to solve a problem of his own making. So that's, I guess, one that's, thing. yeah, exactly. Like, Shoot we yourself. wouldn't need to be spending, <laughs> we yeah. need to be spending taxpayer money subsidizing them to that extent. If we just hadn't done the stupid unilateral trade war. In the first right. Time. And even that is only going to rich corporations and not normal regular normal farmers uh which is just a crime on top of crime on top of stupid 
for for me, a big part of the difference is that Ying is um, he's not just subsidizing farms in order to have artificially low prices or something like that. He's doing it because he's trying to actually transition us toward a, a you know a, a, a new way of farming that is more um, sustainable and more likely to survive um, the impacts of climate change. Right. So that is something that's in the public interest in a way that it's not clear that a lot of the existing subsidies necessarily are. Yeah. I mean, they're well-intentioned, right? I mean, you can, you can have a bad year and you want to maintain. That part you, makes sense to me. It's more, it's like, right. yeah. I mean like the, the concept of, of taxing people and in order to keep prices low, which is something else that they also do. That's part of the reason that they subsidize oil as well. That yeah. to me, it seems very circular. It's like I'm taking, I'm robbing you and then giving it back to you in the and then I'm trusting private companies to give it back to you in savings. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and these companies are sitting on the largest cash and profit reserves in the history of the yeah, world. We, we, That's like the, the $2 trillion yeah. tax break for the, for, for, uh, for corporations. Uh, the reason why it all went back to, to, to stock buybacks, the large majority of it went to stock buybacks and almost none of it got uh, used for the investment. They said they were going to use it for It's because they were already sitting on record cash reserves like that. You can't even make that right. up. Right, and also investment is is also driven by demand. And if there is a, if the demand's not there, it doesn't matter how much supply they're capable of producing. Yep, nailed it. Um, all right, so we're uh, we're pushing two hours, and we're halfway. <laughs> Should we do this as a two parter? <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling that way. Um, yeah, and I'm really really excited that we're finally getting to this though, because it just like I I knew that it was going to be robust and kind of you know, uh, looking at every single possible angle, but it really is both of those things. Well, no, it's uh, insane. Yeah, yeah, it's, wow, okay. And and some, hopefully nobody anymore would accuse him of not having a serious climate policy because I remember that happening on Twitter a little bit back that, in the day. Yeah, those, those people weren't actually looking at it. Now, had he rewritten the Green New Deal to be better yet? No, but then he did. So but then he did, yeah, then no, he, he did. did. He did, this yeah. is, this... This is better than the Green New Deal for oh, it really a lot is. of reasons. Just starting, starting with meshing in the democracy dollars and uh, 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 you know removing GDP as a measurement, which some of the other candidates are now copying sort of versions of that, which is great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it it starts with how do you actually get this thing passed, and then really leans in on um, incentivizing and and spending with with tweaks to have the current infrastructure, current vested. Uh, uh, people and, and, and corporations and individuals be encouraged and incentivized to, to, to fix it themselves, right? In a way that would actually work. Right. Yeah. So, so as a, t- a takeaway for the Yang gang, um, trying to argue why Yang's climate policy is superior. Um, basically, you've got several points, right? We, we, uh, let's see if we can remember all of them. <laughs> one, of them one of them is the incentives. Like changing the incentive structure is the highest return on investment. Um, right. it, it just it costs the government close to nothing and it will make massive um, we Actually, yeah, it, by, by doing the carbon, uh, uh, carbon tax and, and dividend, it funds the rest of it. Almost right. right, and I, I, which is, I, I which is yeah, incredible. and 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 another one, another big one for me is you know it's like less than half of the price tag of the 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 other proposal, right. um, which makes it m- more likely to pass. Um, and four point seven trillion over twenty years is not crazy. That is that is doable. And then he's talking about bringing in um, most of the money needed for that. Um, through a carbon fee and dividend and sharing some of the dividend with the American people in the form of UBI to offset the cost of 
higher gas prices, et cetera. Um, which again, it's, it's, it, for, it really all just kind of comes down to, he takes into consideration the possible negative side effects of things. You know, it's like, it's like you said, Corey, the Republicans kind of hold their head in the sand um, when it comes to climate. I sometimes think that a lot of the proponents of the Green New Deal are holding their head in the sand when it comes to the possible negative side effects mm -hmm. of their proposals. Um, and Yang's the only guy who isn't being an ostrich here, from my perspective. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the, the the combination, as usual, is 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 really what uh, what does it right. Like the it's the, about threading the needle. Yeah, totally. It, it, well, and and making something that addresses literally every single one of the uh, one of the issues, and having most of your proposals not only being paid for it, but being intermeshed in a way that they all serve each other in a way that actually gets something fucking passed. Yeah, like, and like the it, and the being pro nuclear that's huge too. Honestly, that's yeah, a big part is. of the reason the cost the price is lower. Hundred percent, just a much more cost effective way of generating energy. Right, you know? yeah, and, and, and especially and, on a large scale, you know, right. solar and and I and I love the fact that he he wants to use a lot of the money to like literally put it directly instead of subsidizing big corporations to do stuff. He's doing a little of that too. Yeah, but he's also talking about like if you want to put solar panels on your house, we'll help you do that. You know. Yep. And that is um, that's also major. But yeah, that that. Solar is great for like backup power for your neighbor, for your town or actually or solar with property. That's something is something that our uh, road said that I have to push back on. Cause it isn't okay. true um, with battery technology scaling the way it is with battery technology, the way it is right now, solar mm -hmm. is great, right? Like the, the, like the whole idea that it's intermittent is garbage. Like that's just not true. If you have a decent solar panel system, it will run your with batteries, right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It will run your house no, twenty four hours think, a day, and it'll never he, fail. I don't think he meant that it was intermittent. I think well, he, he said he said that out loud, and and a lot of a lot of people, <laughs> he really does, right? Like right, but I don't think he meant what that by it. It's not like your power is going to turn off when the sun goes down. He didn't mean that. He knows okay, that's <laughs> what he said. Uh, okay, but he, I guarantee you that. Guy well, that's like that's why you want nuclear because it's always on, right? Like that was that was his argument, right? It's, so the counterfactual just, is is the other way. And when you're trying to generate power and pump it all over the country um, in like large quantities, it, it's just more cost effective way of doing it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, of, of course, if, you, you, if you're, you know, if you're in the desert, you know, Texas can put up giant solar panels like out and, and, and put in huge batteries and that, that, that can well, work it, sh well. it should be, solar should be residential. There's no reason why you wouldn't decentralize it. It doesn't need to be centralized in a way that thorium. I prefer that. Yeah, done. I agree. Right. I, I like the it, idea. I like the idea personally. I, I would yeah. like to see thorium nuclear reactors, and then I would like to see solar on every building as like backup power or as subs or as or yes end. Right. That's yeah. that's the thing. Right. right. Like so, solar panels on your house is not going to fuel uh, necessarily be able to uh, to run your your Tesla. Right? right, but a thorium reactor backup or whatever it is, you know that 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 kind of thing. And this is the thing: climate change is a big enough deal that you can't you can't deny things that are going to work. You just can't do it, right? Like it, it has to literally be everything we can think of doing all at once with everything we're fucking made of, or things are going to get really, really, really bad. Yeah. And honestly, they're already going to get pretty freaking bad. Yeah, and, and so, something that um, Richard said that I thought was very a very good point was that it's sad when people oppose something only because the other side supports it. Right. Yeah. The, 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 the idea that, Oh, well, Republicans have been in favor of nuclear power, which by the way, is an example of them being willing to do something that would make a massive difference in climate change, you know, regardless of whatever the rhetoric they're using is, yep. but we're not doing it because why, because the other side is the enemy. I mean, like it, it, how are you going to have um, bipartisan 
policies if when the other side supports something that automatically rules out you supporting it. <laughs> That's is the thing. And it, I thought the, that was a very yeah. good point. Okay. Yeah, well, and the, the one of the shared principles I think we're always going to be able to agree on is data comes first. Yeah. Right. Like the, the, if we can agree on just what is real, uh, then we can make decisions that, that are going to be, you know, uh, uh, rational coming from whatever different ideological position you want to start from. It's just going to make sense. Right. We have to be morally and ethically committed to changing our minds with better information at all times for every possible reason ever period. Like that, that just has to be non-negotiable. Yeah. And that is related to what you said about, moving past the traditional left, right, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, um, it's, I, I know you, you think that it was a tangent when I brought up Marxism, but the reason I brought it up is because it is a, it's a dogma, it's a way of, it's a way of, um, it's an ideology, it's a way of, it's a lens through which people look at an issue. And that includes the traditional left and the traditional right. The traditional right looks at it through that lens and says, we don't want that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they and, and, and actually, um, David Fromm, who you mentioned earlier in this, uh, like has made a really important point, which is that he, th- he thinks that the, the right is too um, reactionary in the sense that it seems like they don't stand up for, they don't stand for anything a lot of the time apart from just being against whatever the left is for, right? Yeah. And that, well, that's a lot, why, of, that's that does, yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. of that does come from the fact that both sides are still fighting this old debate about the proletariat versus the capitalist. And we really do need to move past that. Yeah, it's, it's really boring. <laughs> really the number the number of times that i've been it's outdated a, it's, it's it's right it's very outdated it's, it's over then yeah the number of times i've been called a socialist by somebody who literally was dragging their knuckles along the ground cannot be counted it it, it, it you know it's really dumb uh so yeah it, the idea of you know quadrupling down on being postpartisan uh as a yes. show as a movement um is something that that uh that that will get me up in the morning. It's just, it's now something that is very possible because of, you know, our ability to, to, to do a show like this and to, to be able to back a candidate like Andrew Yang, like we're moving into something new. This is an opportunity. Uh, uh, and of course the idea that climate change is, is slowly, but assuredly ramping up faster and faster all the time. You know, it is that moment in history where we have to do it. We don't have a choice. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's going to be doing that with, uh, with you. Yeah, so not left, not right, but forward. I, 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 as I've said before, I prefer left and right and forward. <laughs> That's sure. good too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Andrew Yang is our taco. Boom. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag Moving Forward Pod and uh, find and join the Moving Forward podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>